Well, you know, what I learned yesterday, I was listening to a leadership series with our dear friend, Justin, and he had mentioned the, the, the actual Chinese symbol for crisis is danger and opportunity. And then the Greek word, I forget what the actual, how bad is it that I don't know the Greek word for it, but it's about separation where you talk about separating the wheat from the chaff. And so I feel like we, you know, we talk about the crisis that we're in mm-hmm. and what people are feeling and their backs are against the wall. We're also in a time of great opportunity. But if we are not teaching people, both children and adults, what happens in times of danger and opportunity, we miss. And that's where we fall under the, the thumb of control and we find ourselves in bondage. We're going to talk about all of that with a very, very special guest that many of you may know right after this. Hello and welcome to the Turned On Podcast. I'm Angelique Nori, and my husband David and I have made it our mission to break the darkness by flipping the switch on the four most important areas of your life in health, relationships, business, and in faith. And sometimes the light in the world and in your life can go dim, either from the intrusion of technology or simply because society is so driven by instant gratification. It's our mission to help people see that we're hardwired for connection and that the best things in life come when we turn on the light to see with new eyes the opportunity that exists just a flip away. So if you're ready to stir your spirit, open your eyes, and profit in all areas of your life, then let's get turned on. Here we go. All right, all right, all right. We are here at Warplan Studios. I'm excited. We're yes. Out of, we're out of the closet, like, like Finally, literally. finally out of the closet. 18 months we were recording inside of a closet because we've been on the road. And being on the road without proper equipment and proper sound, well, we you end done. up in the floor of your master class. Get, get her done. Get, get her done. done. This is what happens. This is what separates people yeah. um, in, in times like these. Like, who is going to rise up, right? The, the stars shine in the darkest of nights. And we're going to talk about a star today. We have a guest today that I am sure many of you have heard of. She's written for... David, you're a writer, okay? Yeah. You know that it is not easy to write, let alone for publications such as the Wall Street Journal, the New York Post, the New Yorker, and... The Washington Times, just to name a few. She's also a New York Times bestseller. That's not a list that just anybody can get on. She's no slouch. She is the former assistant secretary of the Treasury under President Donald Trump, number 45, and surely a familiar face to those of you who regularly watch Fox News. You guys, please welcome to the Turned On podcast, Monica Crowley. Hello, Monica. I feel like we should have a cheering section after an intro like that. <laughs> Angelique and David. First of all, Angelique, thank you for that absolutely spectacular. It's your uh, bio. Introduction. I, <laughs> I, I feel like I need to take you everywhere with me now. Like when I walk into a room, I need to have you announce She's a good me hype because man. that was so beautiful. <laughs> and I want to thank you both so much for having me on today. It's just such a blessing and a joy to join you. We're, oh, we're we grateful. appreciate you, man. And um, you know. When we were looking for a guest for this this series that we're doing, and what we're going to talk about is um, how we can be profitable in this in this generation right now, but really raising up a generation who knows 
what it's like to live in a free market. And Monica, the first question yeah. for you is, I remember being in high school taking what's called a civics class. I'm not even sure if they teach civics anymore. I'm not sure what goes on there. <laughs> but I mean, what we're looking at here on, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being amazing, Monica, um, how is our country doing at educating young people on, on how to achieve prosperity? Well, overall, guys, I think we're at probably a one or yeah. two. I think it obviously depends on the school system, you know, and it depends on the schools uh, doing the teaching because some schools are better than others. But if you're talking in general about America's public school system, it has largely been taken over by the left and has for many, many decades. And so the left has a completely separate agenda that is uh, completely counterpoint to the, the very foundational principles that made America great. So they don't believe that America is worthy. They don't believe America has ever been great. And their main pr uh, project is to destroy the country. And so in order to do that, you've got to destroy the foundational principles mm. that turn this country into not just a great country, but a good country. And in order to do that, they've got to indoctrinate children at all levels of education. And they started with the university, and now they're all the way down to, to preschool, really. Yeah. And uh, the indoctrination just comes fast and furious. So again, it depends on the school system and your sure. individual school. But by and large in this country, civics and just basic American history, basic American principles, including the free market, which made America the most prosperous nation on the face of the earth in world history. Yep. Those things are absolutely not being taught. And I think that in combination with the indoctrination of critical race theory and mm. the trans agenda and mm. the sexualization of our children and all of those things coming into play, this is one of the big reasons, guys, why we're seeing such a oh. spike in homeschooling, not just in the Christian community, but across the board. Monica, we're one of them. Yeah. Like we we transitioned to homeschool uh, at the pandemic. And I mean, it was something that was on my heart from this, you know, the start of having children. But I was just like, I can't. That's a huge under taking. I'm not a teacher, you know, all the things. But when, when again, our backs were against the wall and it was an opportunity for us, I'm not going to succumb to co-parenting with the government. And I don't want my children learning the things that they're shoving down their throats as, as young as preschool, like you said. So we said, you know what, we're taking matters in our own hands. And this is where that separation happens. Right, babe? Yeah. You know, I, I feel like, Monica, like the, the left has been packaging this in a vacuum. Like they're not telling the whole story. And if we look at it from a biblical standpoint, Proverbs 12, 24 says, the lazy man will be put to forced labor. And what they're not telling the whole story is they are trying to sway a younger generation of an easier life where they, where they strip them of ambition. That's one of the things we're mm -hmm. going to talk about. One of the first things the socialist um, agenda does is strip young people of ambition. Mm -hmm. But eventually those become the working class, Monica. Am I right? I mean, they, they lure you in with this fantasy that you can sit home and, and order food all day and play video games. But eventually they're going to need somebody to go to work. And that's where they flip the switch. You're like, hey, this is not what I signed up for. What's your thoughts on that? <laughs> Yes, and thank you for giving me this opening, David, because I, I'd like to take a step back and let everybody know how we got here and what this is all really about. Mm. To your immediate question, you're absolutely right that what they want is to, to strip ambition, to strip um, the risk and reward out of society. And certainly they're indoctrinating our children in that way. And so when you look at polling of uh, kids, really, in high school, in the college, and, and through the 20s, let's say, uh -huh. younger people, 
you will see that a majority of them now like the idea of socialism. Yeah. And what I have been saying now for years is that they've been so indoctrinated that, of course, this is a knee-jerk reaction to that question. But what they are being taught is that inequality is fundamentally bad. So they're being force-fed this agenda of equality, equality as an economic good and equality as a moral good. Mm. And while our founding documents talk about equality, all men are created equal, There's that they meant that in a legal sense under the Constitution that justice should be blind and so on. Yeah. But what the kids are being taught is that you are morally inferior if you believe in any system that generates inequality. So that capitalism is right at the top of that. Mm. But what they're not being taught here is that because human beings are fundament fundamentally unequal, meaning we all have different strengths and weaknesses. Right. We all are given by God different talents. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I can't do what you do. I mean, I don't know if you guys cook. I cannot even boil water. <laughs> you might have. You might I'm have right behind that. you. Seriously, I burn toast, okay? So you guys might have that talent. I do not. You know, we're all blessed with different strength, strengths and weaknesses. That's just the human condition. Mm -hmm. So what these kids are not being taught right. is that equality only exists at the barrel of a gun. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. Because equality can only be enforced through the use or threat of force. That's what socialism is. That's what communism is. But that part of the equation, they are not taught. So they're out there chanting about equality and they're loving communism and they're loving socialism and let's get it and let's destroy capitalism. But what they don't understand, one, it's it's got to be coerced. And two, communism and socialism deliver, yes, but they deliver a, an equal share in poverty and misery. Yeah. Nobody succeeds. Nobody thrives. Nobody has real wealth or, or assets or anything like that except for one group of people. That's right. And it's what Karl Marx called the vanguard. That is the ruling class that in communist theory is supposed to bring everybody to pure communism. And then once pure communism is achieved, the vanguard is supposed to, in Marx's and, and Lenin's words, wither away. Mm. Well, human nature being what it is, guys, they never wither away. Mm. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Because once you have power, you never voluntarily give it up. Yep. So the vanguard stays in place. Okay. They amass incredible fortunes for themselves. They have their dachos and their country homes and their limousines. And they're always arguing, well, we haven't quite achieved communism yet. Yes. We need more time, more time. And then you get a revolution because finally people well, wake up. But this is what these kids are not being taught. Mm -hmm. They're taught to cheer the concept of it but they have no clue as to the reality. So this is perfect. You're, you're talking my language, Monica. And Boy, you, are you ever. You, <laughs> mention, you mentioned the statistics, and in research in my book, there's a 2019 uh, Axios poll that said 70% of millennials would vote for a socialist. That's okay? staggering and frightening at the same Unt time. Until you hear the next part. 12% of Gen Z said they thought the Communist Manifesto better guarantees freedom and equality for all than the Declaration of Independence. Oh, good Lord. So we see this speaking to what you just said here's a perfect example because what we get all the time is greed right that's that's what liberals define uh um define the free market as that's yeah. what they define capitalism as is greed okay 
greed is human nature, mm-hmm. all right? Greed isn't uh, alone with capitalism. But let's take an example, Monica, with a name that we all know, Bernie Madoff, right? He is the poster boy for greed in capitalism. Mm-hmm. So what happens in a, in a capitalist society, there will always be greed, regardless of what you're under. Yep. So in a Bernie Madoff, what happens is you eventually get caught. And what happens, Monica? They go to jail. Okay? You go to prison. Right. Right. What's Not the, a fun place to go. The difference is in a socialist or communist society, it's not the individual who is where the greed is. It's the government. And guess what? The government does not send itself to jail. The government does not put itself behind bars. Leaning into what you said, it takes a revolution yeah. to overthrow that. We see what's going on in Cuba right now. It's been over 60 years since they were sold a bag of goods, yeah. the bait and switch of the working class said, hey, this isn't what we signed up for. Right. Castro's dead, and they're still not out of it. What do you say you, Monica? Well, thank you for that question. It's a really important one. And if I could do a shameless plug for my own podcast. Yeah, please do. Podcast, yeah. <laughs> which We're going to make sure that's all- everywhere. Yes, thank you. I do spend a lot of time on my own podcast talking about this because What the American people need to understand is that right now what you are witnessing and what we are living through is a neo-Marxist revolution. So while we talk about people wanting to flee Marxist um, hellholes like Mm. Venezuela, like Cuba, uh, like we saw during the, the Cold War and the Soviet Union and the Eastern Bloc, the Warsaw Pact and so on, people have zero freedom, is completely controlled by the, the state where they have a command economy. The central government controls everything with the economy. It, it strips God out of the equation. Mm-hmm. So communist states are godless because you're supposed yep. to worship the state. Um, it is completely secular. So while all of these people throughout history, certainly over the last hundred years, have fled these kinds of regimes, what we are experiencing right now is exactly that. This is a neo-Marxist revolution. There are some people in the country who are pretty out about admitting that this is what they're all about and this is what they're doing. People like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, people like Bernie Sanders, people like Elizabeth Warren, people like Bill de Blasio. They will tell you straight up, yes, I I am a socialist. I mean, they're communists, but they try to soften it a bit by changing the name. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Right, but what people need to understand is that the entire Democratic Party, this is not the Democrats of your father or your grandfather. Thank you for saying that. This is not the party of Bill Clinton, right, or JFK, or even FDR. This is not, this is something completely different. And we are in the midst of having all of the levers in our society, not just politics, but every lever controlled by these neo-Marxists. And if if you guys would indulge me for a second, I'd like to take a step back and just do a brief little history on this because Mm -hmm. I think it's really important. Mm. So this, what you're witnessing now, actually began in the 1930s. So in 1917, 1919, you had the Russian Revolution where Lenin comes back into Finland Station, comes back, leads the revolution in the Soviet Union, the Soviet Union is created. That ideology, and and you know what, guys, I always say this, communism never dies 
it only gets rebranded. Yes. So what <laughs> so you're true. seeing now via AOC and all of this movement here in the U.S., critical race theory, um, economic Marxism, cultural Marxism, um, the indoctrination of our children, queer theory, this is all rebranded communism, mm -hmm. just to be clear. Okay. So when the Russian Revolution started, they wanted to export the ideology, and that stayed true throughout the Cold War. They were... They were an expansionist power because they were trying to expand um, and and uh, move the ideology around the world as much as they could. So they looked at the United States, and they this is out of the Kremlin. This is the KGB. And they said, look, our number one target is America because it stands for freedom Amen, yeah. and it stands for God. Mm. So they are our number one target, but they're going to be the most difficult to knock over. How mm. do we do it? So in the 1930s, the KGB began an operation to try to knock us over through like full frontal force. And they realized that they couldn't do it because our country was so strong and our constitution was so durable. So they said, okay, then World War II happens and we're essentially on the same side to defeat Nazi Germany. And then after that, the wall comes down and the Cold War begins. And the KGB realizes that they need to take a different approach if they're going to try to destroy the United States and the West. So in the 1950s, they began a different mission. Their objective was the same, but their tactics changed. And they realized that they could destroy us from within. Mm -hmm. And so they came up with the plan to attack all of our fundamental pillars. They went after grab control of education. And like I said, they started with the university level and yep. now they're all the way down to preschool. Mm -hmm. They grabbed control over our culture, which was critical. So they took control of television, movies, music, all of the things that, you know, our kids and everything as you grow up and you, yes. it's all shot through with communist influence. And they grabbed control of the news media so that they could control the flow of information. And once they had control over those three pillars, like termites, they began eating away at the foundation of the country and chipping away and chipping away and indoctrinating our children via the culture, via education, uh, poisoning minds through the, the news media and so on. And so you guys know, I mean, I hope you've never had this experience, but a wooden structure that's eaten away by termites at the foundation, it stands and it looks fine for a long time. Mm -hmm, and yeah. then one day the entire structure just collapses. Mm -hmm. You don't, you don't vote and this. You don't vote I this out. I think we're at that moment now. Yes. People, people think that you can vote this out and, and, and fix it in four years. And unfortunately what, what we're seeing is we're seeing that foundation that you talked about. Um, what's happening is the foundational principles, and they take a long time to correct. I mean, there's a lot of psychology there that, that we have to undo. There's a lot of indoctrination that I don't know yeah. how we do that. Um, if we look at it, you know, speaking of the old Soviet Union, are you familiar, Monica, with uh, an author named E.G. E. G. Edward Griffith, Griffin? Yes. Okay, well, you know, some of these authors are controversial, right? But he did have a great quote. He says, the new business model for America is clearly recognizable. Its dominant feature is to merger of, the merger of government, real estate, and commerce into a single structure, tightly controlled at the top. It's the same model used in Soviet Union, Russia, Nazi Germany, all the fascist countries. 
But what we're seeing now, like you said, in our schools is this model. Mm -hmm. It's been sold. It is a bait and switch model Mm -hmm. because they don't know reality. And, you know, we have to go back because I would want to blame school teachers a lot. And I know that's unfair sometimes. And my good friend said, you know what? But what about the parents? I mean, we can't just blindly give this away. But, But let me ask you one question here. If we go back to just an ideology between left and right, and we just go back to simple economics, and this is where your expertise is, you know, I, I ask you, first of all, to show me an instance where socialism or where communism thrived in the history of the world, right? And you can't really find one. You just can't. The second part is we say, well, show me a, a liberal democratic leader who was great when it came to the economy. Mm-hmm. And, and you're going to hear two names probably. What are you going to hear? FDR and you're going to hear Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. And what, what people fail to realize, I think, and tell me if I'm wrong, Monica, that Bill Clinton was a product of the dot-com boom, right? That helped out a lot of things. It was like magic in a bottle. Not to mention that he had a little thing called a Republican <laughs> House and, and Senate, which definitely helped steer him the right way. I mean, his second term was much better. Um, and then you, and you go to the Obama years, which we'll talk about in a second. But what do you think about, about that particular, in, uh, Monica, left liberalism, economics in general, presidential-wise, versus some of the greats like um, Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump in terms of what they did for the economy. Well, David, you mentioned FDR and Bill Clinton, so let me just quickly address those. Um, FDR inherited the Great Depression when he came in, and then for years, um, leftist policies actually made the Great Depression worse, not better. Hmm. Um, and he was arguing, and there have been books written about this. This is a counterpoint argument that FDR was so great in getting us out of the Great Depression. Actually, the left exacerbated a lot of mm-hmm. the economic pressures yes. in the 1930s and did not improve them. And it has been said that the greatest thing for the U.S. economy at the time was the appearance of the Japanese fleet over the Pacific horizon meaning Pearl Harbor, because Mm. once we were hit, we went on a war footing, and that's what pulled the U.S. economy out of the Great Depression. Um, In terms of Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton did benefit from the dot-com bubble, which eventually burst, so no party lasts forever. And (laughs) he was also one of the last remaining uh, Democrat moderates. He dragged the Democratic Party kicking and screaming back to the middle. And it wasn't because, you know, Bill Clinton was so great. It was because he was a political operative and Mm -hmm. he wanted to survive and he wanted his party to survive. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's why, you know, you got a little bit more positive economic news out of the Clinton administration than than you would expect. Um, So but then remember, the party went back to its communist roots uh, under certainly under Barack Obama. And I'm happy to talk to you about that. Okay, well, let's talk about this, because one of the things that I I like to really familiarize people with is something called um, the income inequality gap. Can you explain what that is to them? Yeah, so the left will talk a lot about income inequality. And what they mean by that is the CEO of a company is making a bajillion dollars, but the workers are making very little. And it doesn't get even when the company or corporation is thriving, the people who are actually making that company work are not benefiting the way the people at the top are. This is an essentially communist argument. So it should be no surprise. Again, we are led by neo-communists at, at, at every direction, right? So this is a communist argument. And they make that argument 
to make the equality argument that the income inequality gap should be narrowed to nothing uh, because it's just fundamentally unfair. Again, it, people are inherently unequal in terms of their gifts. So mm -hmm. obviously inequality is going to exist, right? But they don't see that. This is all about the Marxist utopian vision yeah. that everyone will be yeah. equal except for them. Remember the famous Orwell line from uh, Animal Farm, all animals are equal, but some are more equal yeah. than others, yeah. right? So it never works in principle because again, people love power and they're never gonna give it up. So if you, if you think about that, and I wanna make a point about what we achieved in the Trump administration, the left has been arguing for decades, well, we've, gotta, we've really gotta narrow that gap and, and bring the poor up and stick it to the wealthy and that's their whole argument. In the Trump administration, through pro-growth economic policies, tax cuts, regulatory relief, unleashing our great energy sectors. So we were energy independent and uh, negotiating fairer trade deals for the American worker. We actually in four short years began to narrow both yes. the wage and the wealth gaps, both. Um, and it wasn't that the people at the top were, were getting, you know, um, um, sh you know, screwed over in some way. It was that the people at the bottom we're experiencing faster and more significant wage and income and wealth growth than those at the top. And that's how we were able to narrow that gap. Yes. So while the left talks a good game for a long time about that, we actually did it. Well, here's the thing. And, and you know, the Huffington Post isn't exactly a, uh, a right wing publication. And you could go back and look at several Huffington Post articles that actually tell you that the income inequality gap actually grew under Barack Obama. It actually, it, the, the, in other words, the rich got richer and the poor got poor. Exactly the opposite of what they said. They're, the, the liberals always say they're for the middle class. And the same thing is happening right now under the Biden administration. The, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And we have to be weary of that because mm -hmm. I'm a big fan. And here's another, here's another big difference in the way we think. I'm a big, big fan of Ronald Reagan's trickle-down economics. I say, you know, you show me a, tr a trickle, anything that trickles up. When it rains, let's look, at, let's look at God in nature. When it rains, rain comes down. Rain nourishes. Things grow from the bottom, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a waterfall. Rivers flow downward, right? Everything in nature flows downward, right, to, to nourish and give life to other things. What in nature goes up? Bubbles. And what happens to bubbles? <laughs> they burst. Exactly. <laughs> Talk about trickle down, exactly. e trickle down economics. Do you think it's, do you, do you think, what are your thoughts on Ronald Reagan and trickle down economics? Well, as the saying goes, nobody ever got a job from a poor man. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, the, the wealthy are the ones that create jobs in this country. A poor man, we want to uplift. We want That's to right. offer opportunities. But that poor man, unfortunately, while he remains poor, cannot create jobs, cannot mm -hmm. offer you much of anything because he is focused on survival. Yes. Whereas a wealthy person who is blessed through hard work, risk and reward, which is what the free market is all about, then he is able to turn around and begin to create jobs to help lift the poor man up. So that's just basic economics, right? And it got smeared as a moral bad. 
um, trickle, trickle down economics, but it is actually a moral good. And out of all of the economic systems in the history of the world, which have been tried, yes. it's the free market that has created more wealth yeah. and lifted more people out of poverty than any other system on the face of the earth. And you know, we've got evidence right now on the other side of the world in a place called China, yeah. which turned around and it's got a communist, a very aggressive number one enemy of the US government yeah. regime, mm -hmm. but their economic system, they were very smart in beginning economic reforms in the late 1970s. They began with agriculture, moved into industry, and now in technology, which they're stealing mostly mm. but from <laughs> us. But uh, they, they were able to shift their economy and they did it in a very, very smart way. And they created a middle class, which is tremendously stabilizing to any society. Well, you know what? You, you mentioned something there, and, and it echoes the words of a famous quote by uh, Nobel Prize-winning economist Milton Friedman, who said, you know, the record of history is absolutely clear that there is no alternative way so far discovered of improving the lives of ordinary people that can hold a candle to the productive activities that are unleashed by the free market system. Now, Angelique, you're a perfect example of mm -hmm. this. Um, you came from a, a, a mother, a, a separated household. Mm -hmm. um, your mother worked three jobs. You guys were in a one-bedroom apartment. You you mm -hmm. were on welfare most of the time. Mm -hmm. You, through that, you grew up. You made a name for yourself. When we got, when we started making money, what's the first thing we did? We hired. We hired people. We hired people <laughs> yeah, right? we hired full-time employees. So, yeah. give us give that give that story to Monica in like thirty seconds about how you how you were brought up and then how we created more wealth for other people. Well, I refused to be a victim of my circumstances, and so I, you know, I always looked at how I grew up and said, like, how do I use this as an opportunity? Kind of going back to how we started this show and how we we've always, you know, looked at things like we need to be turned on, and turned on means like seeing with new eyes, and uh, you know, obviously taking moments uh, where m most people would shrink back and say. I know I'm going to rise. And um, that's what the free market system does. And even my mother, who we didn't want to, she didn't want to be on welfare. She never, you know, sucked on the system of wealth, you know, the welfare. We just did it in a time of survival. And I, those memories are very rich to me because I remember drink, uh, eating cereal for dinner, you know, and her crying at the grocery store checkout because she didn't want to have to use a food stamp. But we did for a short time until she got on her feet. And she always created a way to where she was, you know, was working so that she was home with me and that she was the one instilling values in me and she was the one making our home beautiful and she wasn't shipping me off to somebody else and worried about what was being indoctrinated or you know put in front of my face for different opportunities if you know what I mean so using those core values of what was important to me and instilling into our family while also having the same mindset of my dad my dad was an entrepreneur he never wanted to work for the man so I kind of had this unique you know upbringing where as a you know a from a single mom as an only child, I was taking from two schools of thought of how do I, how do I continue to, to build on the backbone of what my dad was a dreamer, an entrepreneur, someone that created jobs, created opportunity, but at the same time, don't sacrifice my home team and the peace that I have within my marriage and my children at the altar. And that's essentially what we do with our home team. That's what we do with turned on. And if it weren't for, you know, the, that dream, if it weren't for entrepreneurship, if it weren't for the ability to create opportunities for others, because 
I always think of my mother. I was thinking, who gave her an opportunity? Who was the person, you know, that that was able to employ her in times of, you know, when she needed to survive? Who are the people that we know around us that have unique gifts and talents that we can invest in to help free us so that we are working within our gift? And that talked about often in the book, um, E-Myth, I'm not sure if you ever read that, but visionaries and managers and technicians, like if I'm tinkering with a toy too much and I stay in technician mode, then I can't be the visionary that I was created to be. The same way I need technicians to to bring life to the vision that implements the, the, the picture that's in our minds to put into, you know, real life and reality. And that's what Ronald Reagan talked about. Entrepreneurs are the backbone of America. And that the truth is before entrepreneurs can take, they must give. So that's what we had to do. We had to give. And the best mind, he also said the best minds are not in government because if any were a business would steal them away. <laughs> Say that so, again. The best, minds- the best minds are not in government because if any were a business would steal them away. So I just want to hear from you, Monica, because I, I know that, you know, our time here with you is valuable and you have such rich content and, and, shares for all of our audience. But, you know, in this time right now where we're seeing what you've shared with history, which is so important for many to understand, because I grew up, my parents were Democrats, okay, but not the Democrats that we see today. It's not at all. And they would be uh, for sure conservatives if they were still alive. So the, the question I have for you is for people that are being educated right now, even on this show, like what do they do in this moment? What, what would you tell families? What would you tell men and women right now to do in this moment where we are in history? Yeah, it's it's a really important question and I'm glad that you asked it uh, because I, I think a lot of people have lost their bearings. Yeah. Everything we once knew to be true or sort of took for granted or relied on uh, being in America has has gone out the window, it's no more. And it makes me sad. I mean, I I pray on this a lot, but it also keeps me up at night Mm -hmm. (laughs) a lot Mm -hmm. because I find myself actually in mourning Mm -hmm. in a sense for the America we all grew up in. I mean, there was no better decade to grow up in than the 1980s, right? Oh my gosh. Right? (laughs) You sound like you're in our house listening to conversations. (laughs) Yeah, when I listen to Sirius XM radio, it's 80s on 8 because it it brings (laughs) me back to a much happier time in America where we actually did have freedom. We had a real president. Um, We had uh, the free market uh, doing its thing, delivering a booming economy um, after getting out of that recession in the early 1980s. We had, you know, a culture that was fun. You know, Mm -hmm. we had music that was fun and movies that were fun and pro-America and 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 the rest of it. And I find myself mourning that. And I know it's a function of years passing and, and it happens to all of us and we sort of idealize the past. But I think for most Americans who understand what America was prior to this Mm. Marxist revolution, we want it back. I think there are a couple of things that we can do. The first thing is get right with God. Amen. And and I mean that sincerely. I think a lot of people have sort of lost their way and they don't even realize it's because of a lack of God in their lives, but also in the life of the country. Yep. So I would encourage everybody to get down on your knees and start your relationship with God again if you've lost it. And Mm. certainly if you have a good relationship um, with the Lord to make sure it's strong, secure your base. And by secure your base, I mean, you know, make sure that your faith base 
is secure individually and then for your family. That's That's number one. Um, Because, you know, I mean, we're all believers here. And when you have that faith in God through his son, Jesus Christ, that sense of peace Mm. is unlike anything you will experience. And so when times are really difficult, you lean on that and it does bring you, it centers you and it grounds you and it brings you that mm. that kind of peace from above that you can't get from anything here. So that's number one, pray, get your relationship with God straight um, and for your family as well. And then I would say politics is critical and we've got a critical election coming up here in uh, just two and a half months now, three months. So I would make sure that everybody gets out and votes, votes the right way, because this is no time to to sit on your laurels and think, mm. well, it's going to be a red wave so I can stay home. Right. Absolutely not. Yeah. Take nothing for granted. <laughs> yes. Get out there and vote. Volunteer for candidates you believe in who are America first, who believe in putting this country first and restoring us. Uh, back to our foundational principles, get behind them. And if you don't have any money, volunteer your time, put up yard signs, do whatever you need to do. And I would say one other thing on volunteering, and I talk about this on my podcast a lot. Um, the, The left has been perfecting rigging elections for decades decades. Mm. Okay. It didn't just originate in 2020. Mm -hmm. So if you have time, resources, or expertise to volunteer to monitor your local elections, and it's not just election day anymore, it's election weeks, it's election month (laughs) in many cases. So if you could step up and volunteer to monitor elections, be an election day, um, a worker, poll worker, observer, if you're an attorney, volunteer your services if there are legal challenges in your area, make sure that we all step up. I just saw a picture from Arizona, which has its primary this week. Mm -hmm. Um, A bunch of people had gathered around uh, various drop boxes for mail-in ballots, and they'd gathered around with wine and cheese and crackers, and they were doing watch box parties. (laughs) That's one way. I love that idea. I love, I love it. that idea. Yeah. Yeah. To make sure that the boxes aren't getting oh. stuffed. So it's things like that to, to volunteer. Integrity. But it comes it, back to integrity. Man, we're missing so much of that in our world these days. Where, you know, across we, the board. When you across talked the about board. the word so, of God, you talked about the word of God, you know, leaning into that. One of the, this is the last thing I'll ask you is people always will say, oh, well, this argument, well, would Jesus have been a socialist, you know, or would he have been a capitalist, you know? And mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think it's really an appropriate question, mm-hmm. but we, if we do look to the Word, it's very clear, you know, in Ecclesiastes, it says, you know, uh, invest in seven ventures or eight, because yeah. you don't know when disaster may, may come upon yeah. the land. Sow your seed in the morning, you know, do not let your hands be idle. So it clearly mm-hmm. tells us to invest. It yeah. clearly tells us to diversify, you know? That's why the Bible is... Um, we look at it as, as a historical book, but like our pastor once said, it is, it is, um, it's relevant because it's it's always there. It's just repeating history. But they're using that. It it kind of bastardizes what the Book of Acts is because it, you know where they came together with their resources. It wasn't like. They, they were all resourceful in their own way. They brought their talents to the table. Yes, they walked away from anything else, but they came together to to basically build up the body. And that's what we are, that is what is being misinterpreted when people say that he would be a socialist. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not a fair argument because 
you're leaving out half the story. It's the half truth. It's the same half truth that was told in the garden. You will surely not die, but you won't fully live either. Like that's what the serpent did. He took scripture and he twisted it. And that's what's being done. And it's ripping out the, the fabric of America, the American dream, the, and, and honestly just human nature and the God and the design that God created us for. And that's what we believe wholeheartedly. And that's what we're about here on the show. And man, you articulated it beautifully. Well, you know, it's funny. absolutely. And you know, when you're a believer and you see the world in terms of the struggle of good versus evil, God versus Satan, you, right now is very difficult to not see that the enemy is astride the world and oh, yeah. he's having a field day. Oh, a for field sure. day. Field okay? day. Death, destruction, violent chaos, mayhem everywhere. I mean, he's just trying to burn down the place. But if you believe in God, you realize that he is still on the throne and mm -hmm. he is still in control. Yeah. Amen. Man, I am so grateful that we had you on. Not only like, do you just, first of all, you're Ivy League educated, unbelievably intelligent woman, so articulate. Everything that you've shared just kind of backs up all of the accolades that are in your bio that's as long as my arm. But then you come in with, you know, a home run on on faith and and knowing like the number one priority for people right now is to get right with God. And that's literally all we talk about on this show, you know, is like, how, what does this go back to? What is the Bible? Like I have, you know, it's a he said, she said all the time here, but what does God say? And if we're, if it's always a right or left issue, we're not going back to the foundational principles. And I'm so glad that you brought it back to the real backbone and, you know, what, you know, the country was designed on and what was designed for. So that's, that's a really important part of the argument that oftentimes gets left out just in, in, you know, media and pop culture and everything else. It's just, we don't have, there's no leg to stand on. It's all about everything is, you know, their own God and what I want and how I feel and what I feel like today and what I want to pretend to be. And, you know, all this stuff. And it's like that, that's not an equal, that's not equality. Well, I mean, I'm wearing a hat that says entre believer. <laughs> I mean, you, we're combining the best of both worlds. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, we want to uh, thank you, Monica. Monica. I mean, I could, I could go on with you for days and hours. I have My so many. God. Gosh, you're so like the female brain of my husband. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, thank you guys so much. It's been such a blessing to join you. And it's always such a joy to, to meet other believers and to have these conversations that are so important to us spiritually, yeah. uh, because I do believe that this is a spiritual war. Amen. So when we talk about the rise of China or terrorist organizations, or we talk about the economy collapsing or rising crime or our cities in collapse or the fentanyl crisis and Powers and principalities. It, it is all of a piece and it's all a spiritual war. And we have to understand that before we can fix the more secular things that are problems here for all of us. Man, that is good. Yeah. And if you want to hear more, you know, check out her podcast, Monica Crowley. Tell them where they can find you at. Yes, thank you. It's called the Monica Crowley Podcast, which is not a particularly creative title, but it does get to the point. Hey. Uh, <laughs> on all podcast platforms. So Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, please just type in Monica Crowley Podcast. It'll come up, hit subscribe, it's free. I do it three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So you will get fresh shows directly to your phone every day. Awesome. And we have plenty for our listeners um, to check out in the show notes and even here, right here on the graphics that we're going to be showing on video. So we're going to make sure that everyone gets to know you if they don't already know you, because uh, you're a pretty big deal. So thank you so much for being here on the Turned On Podcast. We love our listeners. Like, share, comment, leave us a review. But please, please, please let Monica let, uh, let Monica know what you meant to her today. 
Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate the time and I appreciate your friendship. God bless. God bless you, Monica.